These days, every ad dollar is more valuable than ever before. That's why it's so important that Mountain's self-serve performance TV platform makes it easier and more affordable to get seen. With Mountain, you can reach tens of thousands of audience segments with ads served exclusively on top streaming networks, and your campaigns are automatically optimized thousands of times a day to drive peak performance. The result? High-impact ads served at the right time, right place, and to the right audience. Visit Mountain.com to learn more. On today's episode of AW360, I speak with Jeremy Yates, Director of Strategic Partnerships at Happy Finish. Jeremy and I discuss everything from video marketing to AI to content to emerging technologies, all in a brief but very enlightening 20 minutes. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Jeremy, welcome to the AW360 podcast. I'm so pleased to have you on today. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. You're a director of strategic partnerships at Happy Finish. Tell us what Happy Finish does and what you do at Happy Finish. So Happy Finish really, uh, I guess we'd call ourselves creative technologists, um, sort of two main sides to the business. Firstly, we have a particular focus on creating high fidelity assets, um, developing 3D CG content for brands that we work with. Um, that often might be referred to as uh, digital product twins in the industry that we're seeing more and more. And secondly, we serve up these assets in the form of uh, experiential and uh, immersive content. So AR, VR, that type of thing. I think both with asset creation and immersive experiences, whilst they are you know, two sides to our business, they're very much closely related and, and, and not separate as far as the sort of uh, landscape goes in tech. It's more of a spectrum from asset creation to immersive experience. Um, I guess a good example would be if, if we built a CG digital version of a sofa and we pushed that 3D model out to an online shop, you sort of automatically created an experience there. And you can go further with that by adding augmented reality, you know, ability to place that in a room or a color picker to change colors of that sofa. So we can push it much further to take anything we build in 3D into an experience that's immersive and hopefully engages a user a little more than, than seeing an image video or, or static 3D model. Um, me personally, I've worked um, in the augmented reality industry for 10 years, um, so predominantly in, in augmented reality, but also in several technologies you'd, you'd put under the category of, of I guess, metaverse is, is the word that people are using most. Um, I've worked with lots of global brands um, to formulate their approaches to, to lots of different new technologies and helping deploy strategies to sort of drive value from them. So I've seen, I, you know, I'm pretty cynical with new technology generally, and I've seen sort of when AR first came out on, on I guess, early-ish stage iPhones. And whenever new technology comes out, it's inevitable that people scramble to create gimmicky, you know, pieces of content. Um with that new technology and, and you're sort of leaning on the fact that it's new rather than the fact that there's any value there. So I'm always the first to try and advise against bandwagging, bandwagoning and gimmicks um, to try and avoid that and actually drive real value. So I'm trying to sort of, whenever I go into a meeting, I'm trying to sort of take on any cynics in the room head on and by admitting that I, I myself am pretty cynical. 
<laughs> Excellent. Well, you know, I, I think I have two things there. I, I think, number one, a lot of us would be surprised to know that augmented reality has been around for 10 years, you know, long enough for you to have 10 years experience in, in that particular field. Um, but, you know, secondly, it's funny, I think a lot of us also know AR, and I know AR the most from my iPhone and from, you know, that that excellent, amazing ability to, you know, try and fit furniture into my house and see what it would look like and realize I still have no room for anything. Um, when it comes to sort of the gimmicky things versus the things that have real value, what sort of trends are you seeing as AR becomes more and more of a valuable and sort of a known quantity within the industry? I think mostly it's become... So, so when you start out with with new technology, often where it goes to is we're going to start out with entertainment. We're going to create entertaining content and lean heavily on, on that aspect because that's sort of the, the, I guess, the lowest hanging fruit and the easiest thing to do. You know, it requ almost requires the least thought. I think from there, where it where it goes to and, and where you get more value from is is aspects that involve utility. So... I don't know, anything from seeing uh, sort of heads up displays on, on Teslas, you know, to help people align their car with, or, you know, or, or parking assistance, that's technically use of augmented reality. So you sort of go from, I guess, dancing Coke cans in your camera view and be like, wow, it looks like it's there all the way to <laughs> scanning something and it telling you how you can open that piece of packaging correctly or recycle it. Um, I think that's, you know, that's really interesting or, you know, it could be anything to do with, um, provenance of a product you buy maybe it gives you tasting notes on the wine bottle in front of you in a in a you know, immersive um nice form of storytelling so i think that's really the the big difference that we've seen over the last 10 years and funny you say you know you weren't aware it was uh, around that long i think augmented reality technically was being thrown around computer labs in in the 1950s i think i'd have to, to double check that but it's been you know, certainly in computer science labs for a long, long time. I mean, anyone that's a fan of Top Gun, I think what's that early nineties on yeah. their heads up displays, you see a little green thing following airplanes. Again, that's sort of early form augmented reality, but the nature of these things is when it becomes interesting is when you can democratize it and get it out to, to lots of people. And the iPhone really was the, the first piece of powerful tech that, that everyone suddenly had in their pockets. When it comes to the marketing side of this, what sort of uses do you see for the technology that would be of appeal and of you know utility to to people, you know, to marketers in the industry? Yeah, I think I think that packaging is something that's that I find particularly interesting and something that we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of traction on generally. I think with with packaging, you have a well static communication in front of you that really. You can cram as much information. I'm sure they have um, they, they have sort of targets they have to meet in terms of you have to have certain items on it, ingredients, for instance. But apart from that, that you're really scrambling for room with what you can achieve with putting on packaging. You look at a cereal box and it's it's completely crammed. They used to, I remember, we'd have one on the breakfast table and you'd sort of fill out everything on there. Maybe there's a word search on the thing. Then I'd turn the box sideways and I'd read all the side of the box because there was nothing left to do on the front. And I think... When you have AR there, it gives you the ability to to really bring bring an experience outside and beyond that box and in, engage in a way that you really never have been able to before. And from a marketing perspective, to get the data on the back of that is is really really interesting, and to see how people are engaging and you know learning from that. Because before then, it was put a piece of packaging out into the world and hope it does well. You know, there's not much data you get there in terms of engagement. And 
I, I think what's helped a lot with packaging um, is, uh, I guess it's a, a, a lucky benefit of COVID. One of the few is is that suddenly everyone knows how to scan QR codes and um, most devices have had it as a prerequisite to to um, include in a, in a device. The next question is, will are people willing to scan QR codes before some form of, of force track and trace? And I think that's that's up to brands to give people a reason and make sure that the call to action is compelling enough. And in terms of sort of the measurement, uh, and you know, because that's ultimately how so many marketers determine something's usefulness, how does that the measurement work when it comes to, you know, like like you said, like packaging, let's just use that as an example. What metrics are there from that 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 you know marketers can use? Yeah, I think there's some interesting things about um the time of day people are in, engaging with items and things like that. So I guess if you think about, let's say that you put a, a sticker on a banana, for instance, and you put, you know, you activated a, a QR code or some form of code from banana. When you scan that banana, let's say, maybe for the, the use of provenance, where's this from? Is it fair trade? What does fair trade mean in the context of bananas? Suddenly you have a packaging campaign activated from a banana. I imagine something that's really not been done before because it's a banana peel, not a piece of packaging, and it's taken one little sticker there. From a data perspective, I think it's interesting maybe to see what time of day are people scanning and engaging with this? How can we then amend our content to be more interesting out of the pieces of content we're showing? Maybe fair trade, maybe um, a sort of lighthearted how to properly um, peel a banana, you know, something like that which are they most interested in? You know, what's the dwell time like on these different aspects and begin to learn more about, you know, out of their messaging, which one's resonating with customers. And I think really opening up a conversation with that customer is, um, I don't mean literally, I suppose on a, on a macro level, that's really how you, how you learn and, and improve your messaging as a brand. You know, it's funny. I actually share your sentiment as, you know, as cynic of a lot of technology. I, somehow have managed to temper that with an excitement, um, you know, shiny object in front of me. Um, I, I always have to, you know, look at the the newest and best thing and, you know, try and figure out at that point, am I going to be disappointed with how little this integrates into my life? And I, I find it funny that, you know, the metaverse, you know, a couple of years ago really took on a life of its own, even though most of the technologies have been around for quite some time. But, you know, you have a company like Facebook completely renaming themselves just to fit into that universe. And yet the marketing industry has kind of looked at that and kind of shrugged a little bit and gone, yeah, okay, but we're interested in video. You know, video is the hot topic for the past few years and, uh, you know, probably definitely amplified because of the pandemic. How does the sorts of things you do at Happy Finish fit into today's very video heavy world as we kind of, I don't know, wait for the metaverse to really grow into a proper thing that we use every day? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're an agency, the one request that you get from clients is, and probably has always been, help us stand out. You know, that's the sort of request that everyone gets. And and really, the formula for standing out to your audience hasn't changed a huge amount. It's always been get the right content to the right person at the right time. And I think social media, you know, what that's done is advanced the ability to be able to find the right person and make sure that you're doing it at the right time. You know, how often... I've heard so many of my friends say that Instagram is listening to their conversations. And I mean, that's because their algorithm is so good now and, and targeting of ads that 
that of course it, it hits people at the right time with the right content so much so that they're convinced that they have to be listening um and so they've cl- you know clearly got that bit right i think on the content side we've seen a huge move from images to videos as you suggested and i think a lot of that is has been data driven on on what converts more i think I, I, you know i've read statistics that if you incorporate video on a landing page it can increase conversions by over 80 percent so you know there's some data behind that um and for us you know as a business we're really trying to help brands be able to produce video as flexibly and um as readily as possible and create you know different stuff that that is beyond you know doesn't require a film studio or a setup or anything like that and for us step one of that is creating product twins whether that's trainers for for Nike or, or sofas for M&S. When we have these digital CG products in place, we can place them in worlds and, and you know, move to any angle we like to showcase that product, create animations and do so in a way that, that doesn't require a shoot somewhere, you know, to, to create this really expensive new piece of video content. And it's perfect for social media. We hear a lot these days, and this is, you know, just over the past few months, it's really exploded. I talked to a lot of people who are using video gaming technologies, you know, Unreal Engine and, you know, Unity, things of that nature to sort of create the environments that these things live in. It's interesting to hear from somebody who is now creating the objects that may live in those environments. Where do you think all that leads? And do you think at some point people go, you know, everything I'm looking at is sort of manufactured. It's not the real thing. Do I trust it? Is that ever a danger, do you think? Or are we just so accepting of it that we we just go with it? Uh, you'll be in, I mean, you'll be amazed. I've been in meetings before to discuss the color of how things appeal, uh, appear on screen. So, um, you know, fabrics, for instance, how do we make sure that the color that people are seeing on TV, on their screen is is the same that the color that's going to show up in their house and when it's on you know the screen that they're looking at how's it lit because uh, do you remember that dress that that was um there where everyone's arguing about the difference in yeah. shading and that's yeah. a classic, it's a classic example of when you put something on a screen with you know lighting it looks it looks different in di- different places and different colors and to make something look good and look real actually you've got to accept that you've got to do a bit of that lighting so yeah i think there's definitely an, an aspect of trying to make it look real what it's a it's a trade-off really of, of how can we make it look as realistic as possible versus how can we make it match the color as as possible i think people particularly gen z are becoming much more accommodating to, to things being virtual and to be honest in many cases it's so indistinguishable from reality now that some of the you know some of the products you'll see it really doesn't make a difference if anything you can see it in more detail from more angles um you know spin it around in 3d which is, is something really you couldn't do and if you're i'm buying a shoe i kind of want to be able to to spin it around and, and yeah. walk all around it as opposed to seeing two side-by-side photos so there there is an aspect of that where i think it when the utility surpasses the you know the um the other aspect i think actually people are sort of willing to to accept it and when it comes to your sorts of favorite things that you've worked on, what has been a favorite thing and what has been a challenging thing to recreate in 3D like that? Yeah, good, good question. I think there are some, so I've worked on uh, a lot of M&S products. So we've, we basically create, so all of M&S's furniture in CG and then place it in room sets and sort of all the stuff you see on their website 
um, that would have been us that created that. We've done a sort of AR extension of that, which allows you to then place that um, in your home, you know, something that, that, as you can imagine, during COVID is particularly useful, um, you know, when you're unable to go to shops and everything like that. And, you know, whilst people are returning to shops, certainly not at the same rate. And I think you're seeing that with retailers in, in more distribution centers as opposed to sort of stores that people visit, particularly on the high street. So, it's, again, it's a utility thing. So that's one of my favorite favorite ones I've worked on just because I felt like at, at that period in time, we were really addressing a challenge. And, and solving a problem, which is is what you want yeah. to do with any any tech activation. Um, I think when it comes to some of the more challenging ones, um, I think anything where you have like a dress that drapes, it becomes difficult. But we've seen in the last you know three years, the technology just develop at an incredible rate, and you know computing how power helps that as well. So yeah, there's definitely a big aspect of. Um, you know, seeing the latest technologies and making sure, you know, using the, the latest softwares. Um, and it's it's incredible what you can do in terms of um, draping and positioning dresses and, and pinning them out and all of that kind of thing. For my last question, this will be very forward thinking. And I'm particularly interested in your answer to it as a skeptic. You know, <laughs> we, we see a lot of um, headsets and things of that nature and rumored headsets on the horizon, all of which promise this incredible augmented reality virtual slash virtual reality um, sort of experience that I think a lot of us are very excited about, even though we have no real idea <laughs> what that could look like and whether or not it will be, you know, overburdened with, you know, ad messaging or will it be, yeah. you know, just sort of supplements to our everyday, you know, what we're seeing, you know, in, in our particular, you know, periphery. How do you feel about those? And, do you think that's sooner or later than a lot of people do? I definitely think it's later than people think, if I'm being honest. Um, perhaps as a, a technologist, that's not the answer that people want to hear. Um, but I think you've got two challenges. Well, you've got a, many challenges, to be honest. We've all seen the sort of when Google Glass came out and, and you know fell down pretty quickly. And I think there's been a few sort of dystopian YouTube videos we might have seen of, of overbearing ads, you know, invasive ads, um, sort of in your periphery and, and field of view. So I think really there are there are two things to think about. One, all this tech is coming out, it's still really expensive. So I think HoloLens was what, three thousand dollars is yeah. that at a price point where your average consumer is gonna um gonna buy it. I know that Magic Leap is already pivoting towards uh uh, enterprise use, um, HoloLens is sort of already there. So, you know, there's all of talk about Apple producing a headset. I think Meta, perhaps their release uh, of Horizon hasn't been as successful as they'd hoped, certainly at this point in time. So I think the at-home use, the, the gaming use, the I'm by myself and I'm using it, that's sort of maybe I can begin you know i can sort of see that coming in slowly you know particularly to, with gaming and, and communication i think the one where i just can't see it happening really anytime soon is where you're in a sort of social situation where you're among other people that's the one where i just find it really hard to see outside of enterprise enterprise use because there's still a stigma about using your phone at, at dinner i yeah. know that loads of people do but but let alone having a headset and being out in the world, um, you know, you, you'll see the the sort of futurists at, at AWE and, and CES sort of maybe wearing some of those around the conference. But I think only to to 
only as a gimmick and to prove a point. So I still think we're a long way away from from it being integrated into everyday use or even being anywhere near everyday use. But I, I do find the enterprise use is really interesting. Excellent. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. It's been a very interesting conversation. Where can people find out more about you and Happy Finish? Yeah, you can find, out, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Jeremy Yates. I'm at, at Happy Finish, as we've discussed, um, and Happy Finish. Uh, you can find more about us on our website. Um, but yeah, reach out to me. I'm always happy to, to catch up with people um, informally and, and just chat. So yeah, feel free to get in touch directly. Excellent. Well, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening. For more content like this, including Advertising Week's growing network of podcasts for the advertising, marketing, and technology spaces, visit www.advertisingweek.com. It's time to treat TV as the performance channel it's become. Mountain's self-serve connected TV marketing software helps you do that with data-backed insights that take the guesswork out of measuring impact. With Mountain, you can track your connected TV ad performance down to the last decimal in real time and compare it to your other channels with leading web analytics integrations. You can even see which viewers are taking the next step to visit your website and make a purchase regardless of what household device they use. Visit Mountain.com to learn more.